Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. I just want to do a review again uh, as we get into chapter 2 of Philippians, just as a reminder of just kind of an overall of the book of Philippians, because you can get into these and get a ways down the road and sometimes forget some of the basic things about it. But in chapter 1, Paul's admonition to the Philippians concerned how to respond to their enemies. In this chapter, chapter 2, the issue will be how to respond to their enemies. In this chapter, the issue will be on how to respond to their brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. So in chapter 1, we know that the, the, the Philippian church was having issues from outside the church. So these were enemies to the church, and there was pressure coming in. And we talked about this before, so I'm not going to review it again. But we know when pressure comes from outside, then it can cause tension inside. Um, now, you all have experienced this in a relational level, okay? I've watched this happen in churches. Pressure happens from without. Um, sometimes this will happen. There'll be a family or groups of families in the church. I've watched business deals go awry in churches and brothers and sisters or brothers in Christ almost throw fists in a, in a church lobby over money, you know, because they love their brother more than the money. <laughs> All right. So a lot of times this is why I just totally stay away from business things in church because I don't, there's just no point because most people can't handle it. You know, they, if they, if it goes wrong or something goes awry, they just, they get in the flesh so quick. It's, it's, uh, it's remarkable. You know, it's not really remarkable, but it's remarkable. Um, so pressures from what? Then they'll bring that into the church, and then you get yow yow and, and complaining and griping and things like that, and then you get talking one way or another. And this stuff, I'll just be honest, this stuff goes on all the time at some level. And so we want a very low level in this church, <laughs> you know? And so in order to do that, you have to keep the enemy out of your life, and then and 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 function in the love of God with those outside the church, and then as you come into the church, you continue to function in the love of God. Amen. And that doesn't mean you're gullible and just fall for everything that everybody tries to bring you. It just means that you're under control yourself, and you where you have authority, you rem, you keep control. All right. So uh, heads of houses, dads, you keep control of your house. You you keep your children in subjection. And you keep the order and the hearing from the Lord and the order of the house moving forward in the direction of the scriptures. Amen? And so you want to keep continue to do that. Because love among the brethren is a big, big deal. And uh, always has been and probably will be until the return of Christ. So, um, in, in uh, let me see where I'm at here. In chapter 1, we saw that we will never experience unity with the world. Did you know that? You and I will never experience unity with the world. Now listen, our object is not to live in harmony with those who reject God, but rather to win them over to the Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, we never submit to the world's ways. We, all right, I'll put it to you like this. This will help. We never submit to the spirit of Antichrist. No matter how well they package the demon, it's still a demon. Amen? 
So we never are going to be in harmony with the world because our tuning fork is tuned to a different spirit. Our heart is vibrating to the, the tune of heaven, not to the, to the tune of Christ, the resurrection, not to the tune of the earth, the spirit of Antichrist. So we're never going to have harmony that way. Now, that doesn't mean you can't love them because you can love them. In fact, you should love them, but you're not looking for unity with them. Whenever the church begins to try and have unity with the world, that's when you get universalism. You say, what's that? Everybody's going to heaven. We're all children of God. There are many ways to God. Christianity is right. Buddhism is right. Hinduism is right. Muslim, you know, that's what you end up with because you're trying to have unity outside of the governing parameters of God which will never work. It'll never work, amen? How many know if we're friends with the world, we're at enmity with who? God, okay? Now, that doesn't mean you're not friends. How many know sinners like Jesus, okay? So you gotta be able to separate this. That does not mean Jesus submitted to sinners. He did not relinquish truth for the sake of them liking him. He expressed the, the love of God to them. You know, you can actually express the love of God and walk in the love of God when the world hates you. That's the ability that we have, and that's part of our witness. So we need to keep that in mind. On the other hand, we are to live uh, in harmony and peace with those in the body of Christ. Now, this is a big deal. The same Holy Spirit who gives us power to witness to the world also enables us to live in unity with each other. Unity is, is difficult for the world to attain. How many have noticed? Through legislation and sometimes intimidation and fraud, I added that one, governments, I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I didn't even try and help myself on that one, Dale. I just did it. Governments try to get people of different races, cultures, and backgrounds to live in harmony with each other with varying success. How many have noticed? The church is also filled with people from different races, culture, backgrounds. We are to be an example to the world of the power of the new birth. Okay? So watch. Your skin tone may be different than mine. But if we're born again, we're brothers and sisters or brothers and brothers. You understand what I'm saying? In Christ Jesus. Which means we have unity even if our outward is different. Amen? Because we, we belong to the same family. And, uh, and so since that's the case, we, it, it actually, and this is, this is a part of our witness. Okay? So technically, you know, you'll hear this. Uh, <laughs> um, there actually, there are, and you've, you've probably seen them, but, you know, churches will get labeled as that's the, uh, like there are Korean churches, there are, you know, uh, black churches, there are white churches. Technically, no, there's one church. If you're born again, we're all in the same church. And really, if we get off because of, and, and don't walk in the nature of Christ like we should because of something external, it just shows us how unspiritual we are. It really does. Because how many know Jesus did not put different love in a brother who's an Asian than he did in me. It's the same love. 
Amen? Okay. All right. So, uh, something to think about. That's part of our witness. The church is also filled with uh, people from different races, cultures, and backgrounds. We are to be an example to the world of the power of the new birth, the word of God, and the Holy Spirit. What the world cannot do, the supernatural power of God can. A sad thing happens when the church starts to live like the world. Paul heard from prison that factions were developing in the Philippian church. And we looked at this. Why? Pressure from the outside is now working on the inside. And when it starts working on the inside, then all of a sudden I can't be with you anymore because you see what I'm saying? And uh, it causes problems. He wrote to them reminding them of the Holy Spirit who lives in them and the fruit which he produces. So last week we looked through verses 9 through 12, which is really quite a feat for us. Because that's four verses. We're doubling what we were doing before. In verse 9, we saw that because of Jesus' humility and submission to becoming a God-man, we now have representation and access to the Father in heaven, but we also have authority in Jesus' humanity to release heaven here on earth. In verse 10, we saw that Jesus' submission to God and subsequent exaltation by God gave him power and authority in all three realms. He has authority in heaven, earth, and under the earth, which is hell, and we talked about that. Verse 11, we saw that when a person believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, God the Father, who originated the plan of redemption, is glorified. Everyone who believes confirms the defeat of Satan, proving that God was right for throwing him out of heaven. After we receive Jesus, our daily walk of faith gives glory to God because we produce God's will in the devil's world. This proves Satan is not omnipotent. He has no control over a person's will. We saw that with the name that is exalted above every name, Jesus. Then we saw in verse 12, the Philippian believers now need to step further into God's plan and grow up. God placed the salvation inside of them. They need to bring it out. It needs to be manifested in their everyday walk before the world. Notice it's their own salvation they need to be working out, not everyone else's. Yeah. We cannot live each other's lives. We all have a full-time job running our own lives. Amen? All right, so let's go to verse 13 in chapter 2 here, Philippians chapter 2, and we'll begin there. The scripture says this, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. The Amplified Bible says this, not in your own strength, for God, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and Delight. So what do we see here? It is God working in us. The good pleasure of God is placed in us by the Lord at salvation. How many realize that? Now, I've quoted this verse many times, but it fits right here. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, and that man is, it's mankind. If you're in Christ, you are a what? New creation, right? Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Now, how many, when you were born again, you were aware that something came new, became new? 
Most people, I mean, it's, it's clear. Now, not everybody kind of has that sensation, but most people I've found do, and they have an awareness that God is now, has changed my life. But that, that phrase, God has changed my life, is actually only partial. <laughs> How many notice that you still had the same mind and your body had not changed? Much to my disappointment. <laughs> you know? Brother Hagin used to say to us, if you were bald when you were born again, you're bald after you're born again. You know, and he'd go through this whole list, and I'm not going to go through it all. But anyway, in other words, your natural did not change, and neither did your thinking. It remained the same, but you were aware of a change where? In your heart, right? In your spirit. So I like what Andrew Womack says. One-third of you, when you were born again, one-third of you is wall-to-wall Holy Spirit. Okay? How many of you know God and the devil are not hanging out in your spirit together? Right? Now, you, you have to believe this in order for, for you to grow spiritually like you're supposed to. People say, well, no, I met Christians that were demon-possessed. Well, maybe they were demon-oppressed, but they weren't possessed. Okay? Um, because uh, believers can have, well, I'll put it to you like this. How many know uh, how many here live in a house? Okay. Is the house you? Can you have roaches in your house but not in you? Does that make sense spiritually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense though, spiritually? Okay. Just because there's roaches in the house and we may need to, you know, fog your brain to kill everything in there. <laughs> That's not supposed to be. But the enemy is not in your spirit. He may, be, he may be affecting your soul, but he's not in your spirit. Okay? And so that's what's being said in here, right here. Paul's saying, look, the, the good pleasure of God is placed in you by the Lord at salvation. The desire to produce that good pleasure and live it before the world also comes from the Lord. There is no good work we can produce which does not spring from a godly desire and is not accomplished by his power. So this is divine good, not human good. Okay? This is divine good. Human good, um, how many know that sinners can do good? But it didn't come from God. You know, people that are unsaved do good works. Did you know that? But they're not God works. They're not God works. So in other words, human good is good, but it will not carry any weight in heaven. Because our good works are as filthy before the Father. Okay? Human good comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Divine good comes from the tree of life. And who lives in you? The tree of life. So when you're born again, the Holy Spirit goes, boom, do this. He's in you working. Okay, let's, let's look at the verse again, okay? Need to look at it again. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of what? His good pleasure. So this is a good work that will pass the judgment seat of Christ 
as precious. It isn't wood, hay, and stubble. Okay? So it is the Lord working in me. So there's a couple of things here I want you to think about before I go into the commentary on this. But think about this. And this is something that the Lord keeps emphasizing and that we need to understand. When I do a good work for the Lord, or when I'm, when I, well, I should put it to you like this. As I'm developing in the Lord and putting on more and more of the Lord Jesus Christ in demonstration to this planet, to this earth, my witness to this earth, it's not a work to earn. It's a work from something that's been given to me. So I'm not working for my salvation. I'm working from my salvation. So there's a liberating thought here. That means when you read in the area of Scripture where there's a commandment to you and it says, you know, uh, uh, bless those who curse you. You can look at that and realize I have an anointing, an empowerment from Christ to rise above how my flesh feels right now and, and bless this person. I can speak to this evil from the tree of life within me. Does that make sense? Okay. So now <clears throat> I can express that to you, but you've got to grab it. You have to take it and live it. And even when you screw it up, and you will, because I have, and everybody I know has, <laughs> except for Jesus, <laughs> okay? Even when you mess it up, you need to go back and repent and go, nope, I functioned out of my flesh there. Lord, that was wrong. I apologize. Forgive me. I'm going to show me, Holy Spirit, what I'm supposed to do here, and then respond out of your spirit. See, even, even in all the calls to holiness, all the calls to living right, all these calls to, the, to the, what, what, what many, uh, some people get frustrated about that are the works scriptures in the New Testament. I'm talking about in the epistles. You got to realize, this isn't Paul or the other apostles. They're not, they're not putting a, a, a legalistic thing in front of you, a list of do's and don'ts. They're saying, hey, believer, Christian, born again, child of God, pay attention because you're acting in a way that is not your actual nature. Right? It's a call to, to, to change your thinking, to come into line with who's in you so that you can have a two-to-one ratio over the nature of your flesh. You can have a two-to-one advantage over the nature of your flesh. And, and how many know that a renewed mind and the power of the Holy Spirit with you is plenty of power to dominate the nature of your flesh? Now watch, even to the point, and we read this before in the previous verses, Jesus was obedient unto the Father to the point of what? Death. Even, then it goes further, <laughs> even the death of the what power do you hold? You know, and that's usually not the scripture or the reference that people like to go to about what kind of power they have. Mostly it's, you know, I raised the dead, not I died for. Come on. Do we see it? Okay. All right, good. So, in these verses, this is what this is saying to me. Now, I am not telling you 
that I am living this, okay, fully. I'm getting it more and more just like you are. But I really believe this is, this is a, a significant to the body of Christ for the day that we're in. There's going to be, I, I completely agree with the fact that heaven is going to show off in earth in a massive way. Totally. But I also understand that the church needs to understand, that I need to understand, that my primary is not my flesh or this earth. That I am a sojourner. I'm a pilgrim passing through. The earth and everything that it has here is not my home. Paul, uh, Abraham understood this. So it's, uh, I heard uh, Keith Moore say this years ago, and I thought it was really good. He said, no matter where you're living on the earth, it doesn't even matter how nice your house is or anything, in your heart live in a tent. In other words, God, you speak, I'll strike up any time. You tell me, I'll go. What do you want to do? Now, <clears throat> a lot of times God won't say that to some people, most, most believers. Because they won't even strike up and go across the street to witness to their neighbor. So what in the world is he going to tell them to move to China for? People are like, no, no, we're against China. No, no, no. <laughs> no. 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 Humans are what Jesus came for. And so... This scripture has great power for where we're at. If I'm not seeing people the way God is seeing people, amen, even if it means I have to give a warning to people in a serious, in a serious way, conviction, rebuke, whatever it is, by the Holy Ghost, knowing that that person, and the apostles showed us this, could turn on us and kill our physical body. But if you love them, if I am walking in the love of God like I should, I'm willing to lay down my flesh for their salvation. Now, watch, I'm not telling you that I'm the Savior, okay? So don't, don't take it as that. If you heard that wrong or, you know... Uh, if that didn't quite make sense. What I'm saying is the same nature within me and within you is the one that hung on the cross for all humanity. Now that's a big deal. You know, sometimes I think we read different, pa I, I know I have. I've read different passages of scriptures and things and I thought, oh, that'd be cool to have happen. Except for martyrdom. I've never thought that'd be cool. <laughs> I have read those verses and went, I don't know, Lord. I don't know if I can. Am I the only one? I, did, I mean, does any, you, you should be doing this when you're reading your Bible going, well, there it is, but I mean, if I'm honest, you know, I don't want to give up my line at the latte place for somebody to <laughs> get their coffee before me, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's not that bad, but, <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying, I, 
That's what I do. Because there's that natural side where you go, you read, I read these things and the Holy Spirit will say, Sean, this is what it means. And I'll go, are you sure? (laughs) Because I don't know if that should be it. Maybe we should think of something else. (laughs) But that is what it means. Now watch, we'll we'll get into this more and more. The complete uh, biblical library commentary says this, the New Testament commentary. God, of course, not only gives the will to please him, but also the ability. So verse 12 delineates human responsibility, and verse 13, divine responsibility. Watch this. It is never either or. The scriptural approach is not let go and let God. Now hear me out. If you've been saying that, I'm sorry. If you got the bumper sticker, I'm sorry. The scriptural approach is get in there with God. It's get in there with God. How many of you have seen that uh, picture? It's been going around Facebook of a shovel and a guy leaning on the shovel or something, and it says, don't pray God will dig you a hole or whatever. Uh, or, or if you pray to God for a hole, he's going to hand you a shovel. In other words, I'll put it to you like this. It's not that you're earning the hole. But think about it like this. The guy who has the shovel, did he give himself the body? No. God gave him the body to dig the hole. There's a divine and a natural. So it's not let go. It's not, you know, it's not, uh, what does the phrase say? Let go and let God. I don't know that I've ever said that. It's not let go and let God, but get in there with God. And that's what he's saying here. Paul exhorts the followers of Christ as if he were an Armenian, which, by the way, is the opposite of a Calvinist, okay? Paul exhorted the followers of Christ as if if he were an Armenian. At the same time, he prayed as if he were a Calvinist. Both approaches contain truth. Do you know that? Do you know every spin contains truth? Okay, there's truth in it. Um, in, in a sense, Christians were saved the moment they believed. They are being saved as the Holy Spirit applies the sanctification process to their lives, and they will be saved at the resurrection. Salvation is continual. Does that make sense? There's this process taking place where the Holy Spirit is working in your life day in and day out and day in and day out. And those that have walked with the Lord for a long time, they have more of the manifestation of the resurrection than others do because they've walked in obedience. How many have realized it's really easy to just kind of drift along in your Christian faith? This world is not conducive to developing spiritually unless you do it intentionally. You have to intentionally cooperate with the Lord. There are times you have to wake up and go, I don't feel like reading my Bible, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to make myself think about it. How many have noticed that your your brain can be lazy like your body wants to be? And you sometimes you just got to, you know, slap it. People say, how do you slap your brain? (laughs) Just carefully, yeah. (laughs) I heard Jim Hockaday said this years ago. When we were in prayer school, he said, sometimes you got to, when you wake up in the morning, you got to grab yourself by the nap of the neck and look at yourself in the mirror and go, listen up, flesh. You are going to do what you're told to do today. Some of you are good at this with your kids. You need to practice it on yourself. 
We're doing good. We got through one verse so far. Oh, and I could just read a ton of stuff here, but I don't have time. Yeah, I always got next, I always got next month, right? Won't be next week. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. So, get in there with God. Amen? So here we see a good explanation of verse 12 and 13. They do not contradict each other. They actually work hand in hand as the truth declared in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So I'm going to read 12 and 13 again together. If this is all we get tonight, that's fine. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence also, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So that was verse 12, which we didn't review, but we reviewed verse 13. So he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he goes to, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Well, which is it? So am I supposed to work or is God supposed to work? The answer is yes. (laughs) You like that point? I wrote that and I was like, that's a good one, Lord. Am I supposed to work or is God supposed to work? The answer is yes. Remember, it is not let go and let God, but rather get in there with God. In light of Christ's example, Paul goes on to encourage the Philippians to deal with the issues that face them as a church. He calls on them to manifest the same obedience that has been characteristic of their initial response to the gospel. He also challenges them to obedience regardless of whether he is present with them. How many know you should obey no matter who's around? Amen. You know, I would work with guys uh, in the construction business, and it it didn't take them long to figure out I was a believer and, and a minister. It didn't take them long at all because I was not quiet. I'll be just as vocal as you are on your end, and maybe sometimes more. Because I'm, the, I'm, I'm God's reflection here, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm his light to those, we're salt and light, right? And so uh, once they found out I was a believer, they'd stop cussing. Like God wasn't around when you were cussing before. And this is what you deal with with human thinking, natural thinking. God is there. And guess what? He didn't leave because you cussed. He, God is not like this moody, overly sensitive uh, being that some people make him out to be. He's not. How many think in Jesus, when Jesus walked the earth, that he heard cussing among the people that he was around? They're prostitutes and tax collectors. These are, these are people that the religious leaders are like, ooh, it's going to get on you. <laughs> and Jesus was like, let's heal them. And they're not saved. You realize when Jesus was healing all these people on the planet, nobody was saved yet. They weren't born again. Right? So God's intention is redemption first. That doesn't mean you have to agree with what they're doing. 
you don't even have to laugh at their jokes if they're not good. I don't. I didn't. Do you know how awkward it is? But I don't care. I know who I am in him. And I know my intention in, 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 in uh, my end game, in, in coming in contact with those that aren't saved, is to lead them to Christ. And, they, and my, my uh, security level, I'm not going to be insecure with them because I, I just need them to like me. But I am going to love them. And they'll know the difference, amen, with you as well. He also challenges them to obedience regardless of whether he is present with them. And this is the thought that, that uh, people sometimes miss. They think, well, I'm, you know, I'm good around this person and I, I need you around me in order for me to be good. When you're young in the Lord, I understand that. But as you grow, you should be able to stand by yourself and the Lord. You know what I mean by that? No other physical person is around. You should just be able to stand in the middle of all hell and go, I ain't budging. Because greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And that doesn't mean you don't feel pressure or temptation. It just means that the great, you know the greater one is in you and you can overcome. How many have done that in your life? I've done that in my life. And I'm going to do it more. But how many know this? That same ability is there in talking about this scripture in verse uh, 13, which clearly we're not going to get past this one. <laughs> but in, how many know that strength is there just like it was for John and Peter when they're before the rulers of their day who had just killed their Messiah, by the way, and they say, you can't preach in this name. And they look at him and go, sirs, I don't know what you think is right, but we're going to preach. I heard a preacher say they had to have miracles. Because if they just had words, they wouldn't have a following. And those religious leaders would have had them dead sooner. It's tough to argue a crippled man getting up and walking after being crippled for... I mean, how do you argue that? That's tough. That's where we need to be. But we have to be willing all the way. You know what I mean by that? And so I look at this and I go, okay, we're in a good place. But that same ability to stand in the middle of persecution or in the middle of maybe being mocked or you're the only Christian there, that same ability gives me the ability to stand before the executioner and go, I'm not denying Christ. Now, some of us think, okay, and, I, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm here yet, okay, so don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. Because I know there's a grace for this. But think about in Nero's day. Sometimes we don't think about these things. You realize they're stringing the families out with the kids to die if you don't deny Christ. And people go, oh, well, that, that, you know, how could that happen? We murder babies in this nation. Humanity has not changed. Not one bit. We are exactly the same depraved, hell-bent group of people without the resurrection. You know what I mean by hell-bent, right? We're going there. Sin is in the heart. 
And it will, it, how many have seen how it can uh, mature and you start to see its form? I was telling somebody earlier, Romans 9 is happening right now. There are vessels under wrath and vessels under honor. And they're coming forth. And I'll just tell you this. I don't know if I'm going to give this word that the Lord gave me. I think I will at the rally. But there's, there's you need to warn people. Because it's a coming. And God will get glory out of my life and your life. And it'll either be by honor or by wrath. People say, oh no, that won't happen. Yes, it will. Yes, it absolutely will. Because see, he's the potter and we're the clay. And we decide if we're hard or soft clay. He will get honor. He did it with Pharaoh. In fact, the scripture says in Romans that he just waited on Pharaoh. Watch this. This is the deception that the enemy uses for our politicians. He gave Pharaoh position of authority. Pharaoh was convinced that he was God's man or God. And the Lord led him. He rose right up. Why? Why did he raise him up? So that he could show his power. If you read Romans 9, you'll see it. God did it so he could show his power. Now watch this. This is the thing sometimes people think. They think, well, that doesn't seem very fair. Why? Some people are led to the Lord through his love. Others are led by seeing his power demonstrated on the other side. Watch. Paul said, knowing the grace of God, right? All that he knew about the grace. We, we also know about what? The terror of God. And so we what? Warn men. Why? Because, guys, people say, well, Jesus, all judgment was put on Jesus. Correct. If you receive it. There is not, you don't get out of judgment just because it all went to Jesus. I don't know, I don't know why people think this. So there is no hell then. Everybody's getting saved. See, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up for me. So here's the thing. When Jesus was lifted up, all sin was drawn unto him. Yes, judgment of sin went on Jesus. For, and those who receive that will receive the mercy. Those who don't will not. Period. And God is not unjust in his decision. And I will not question him in it. Amen? Boy, I wish I could finish verse 13. Okay, I'm going to do it right now because we got to end this. In light of Christ's example, Paul goes on to encourage the Philippians to deal with the issues. I already read that. Skipping down. The task to which the Philippian believers are, are to turn their attention is to continue building their community, striving to put aside petty squabbling, and to become united in Christ. How many know that people leave church over the color of the chairs? People leave church over the color of the carpet. People leave church over the... I, I mean, you'd be surprised. Maybe you wouldn't. Paul refers um, to this task as working out their salvation. Considerable confusion has surrounded verses 12 and 13. 
Is Paul teaching that his hearers must supplement their faith with personal works as a necessary requirement for salvation? Does verse 12 contradict verse 13? Some of the confusion may be clarified when we recognize that both the pronoun your and the verb work out are plural. In other words, Paul is not suggesting that individuals' justification before God requires some kind of supplemental labor to make, it care, to make it effective. Moreover, it should be noted that the word salvation, which is soteria, in Paul carried with it three distinct senses. There is a past dimension to salvation, justification. When an individual is declared righteous because of one's faith in Christ and is moved from being under the dominion of sin to a position of reconciliation with God, there is a future dimension to salvation, glorification, when God's full purposes in reconciliation are fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. But there is also a present dimension to salvation, sanctification. And that's what verse 12 is talking about. Sanctification, the process by which an individual grows and conforms more and more to the image of Christ. The process of sanctification is what Paul is referring to in these verses. There is no need to assume as the fact, uh, as fact that the word salvation has a weakened meaning in this verse. For Paul, salvation meant being a part of a community of believers, a body, which has its mandate growth in Christ. Part of the growth process occurred in the context of struggle and conflict. How many have had struggle and conflict in your life? That does not mean you stop growing spiritually. You stay after it, amen? All right, so he goes on to say this. The believer's sanctification not only occurs individually, but is born out in community. It is to be fleshed out in fear and trembling. That is in what the wisdom writers label the fear of the Lord, okay? So we're to what? Because verse 12 says it. We're to, we're to walk out our salvation with what? Fear and trembling, or the fear of the Lord. We see that in Psalms 111 verse 10 and Proverbs 2, 5. Their partnership and community is with one another, but it is also with God. For it is he who empowers them or us. His role as the one working in them means that his power actually produces tangible results in them. Both the ability and the act according to his will and the willingness and desire to do it. In other words, you are saved by grace through faith. And faith without works is dead. Amen? So, we're not going to get into it, but the next verse says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Why don't you stand? <laughs> we'll give you two weeks off so that you'll be able to handle it. <laughs> and we'll pray. Hallelujah. Did you get anything? That's a lot of, you know, one verse, you wouldn't think you'd be able to preach that long for one verse, but there's a lot there. And how many have noticed in, the, in studying this, it's growing on you? 
It grows in you more and more and more. You'll be strong if you just allow this teaching process, process the line upon line, precept upon precept to build in you. If, you like, if you're one that's given more to the gifts of the Spirit, you watch, you do this, the gifts of the Spirit will function at a level and clarity will come that you didn't know before. It'll happen. I've watched it in my own life. I've watched it in others. Amen? Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.